What does your morning sound like? Uh, goodbye, baby. She's finally asleep. Hi, welcome to McDonald's. Can I get a sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles? Mmm. Here's to making your morning routine a little better with a delicious breakfast from McDonald's. Right now at McDonald's, get a sausage biscuit and hash browns or sausage McMuffin and hash browns, each pairing for just $1.50. Price and participation may vary. For a limited time, cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Paul Seeley. He is a psychic medium and an award-winning author of Channel Texts from Touch Penguin. Paul is one of the foremost spiritual channels working today. His breakthrough works of channel literature, I Am the Word, the Book of Love and Creation, the Book of Knowing and Worth, and the Book of Mastery awakens humankind to its own divine nature. Paul's unique abilities have been featured on ABC News Nightline, Fox News, the Biography Channel series, The Unexplained, GAM TV's Beyond Believe, and the documentary film Paul and the Word. Paul offers channel workshops internationally and serves on the faculty of the Omega Institute, the Kripalu Center, and the Eslin Institute. He had also served on the faculty of NYU for over 25 years. Paul directed the MFA in Creative Writing Program at Goddard College for many years and is now serving on the College Board of Trustees. Paul and I will be having a conversation about his life's journey and his recently released book, The Book of Freedom, Book 3 of the Mastery Trilogy series. Good morning, Paul. Happy 2019. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing today, sir? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. The last time you were here was in August 2017. We had a conversation about the Book of Truth, the second book of the Master Trilogy series. And now I'm very excited to talk about today's topic, the Book of Freedom. It is a delightful, insightful read. Congratulations on this release. Thank you very much. For the benefit of our new listeners, let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Oh, my. Um, okay. <laughs> I was born in New York City, and I've lived here most of my life. Um, I was raised something of an atheist. Um, uh, when I was 25, I had uh, a list of things that I thought I had to have achieved in the world that would make me okay. I got the whole list. I wasn't okay and really out of sheer necessity began to look for something more. Um, I had an opening um, in 1987 um, that people later sort of said sounded like a spontaneous Kundalini awakening or Shakti. I really don't know what happened, but it was an experience Mm -hmm. of energy moving through my body and out through the top of my head. And I started seeing the lights around people. And then I ended up um, studying a form of energy healing 
Um, and when I began to practice that, I found that I could hear things for the people that I was working with and feel what was going on with them, either in their body or emotionally. And I was opening up as a you know clairaudient and clairsentient mm-hmm. without knowing what those things really were and how they worked. So I'm not really a trained medium, and they call me now a medium for the living because I have this odd ability to step into other people and become them. I primarily work with the living, so I'm not the guy that will you know, step into your, your great aunt Ida, but I am the guy, um, if Ida's still living and you know you haven't spoken to her in three years, I can probably tune into her pretty effectively and, and begin to hear her. So the gifts began to open up that way in my late 20s, early 30s. I started doing a little group that met in my apartment, and it met for about 18 years with uh, small groups of people that would come. And I was very interested in sitting in the energy that would come through when I, for lack of a better word, began to channel because it was extremely palpable and we could all Mm -hmm. feel it. And the guides that began teaching through me at that time um, we're teaching energetic attunements and ways of working with the energy. It wasn't until quite a number of years later in 2008, after I'd quit smoking, that my abilities really took off and the guides began lecturing through me and then dictating books. So they've dictated now seven books through me. Um, and there's a seventh one coming out in a few months this summer from St. Martin's Press. And, um, you know, the books are all the unedited transcripts of these channeled lectures. The last two books mm-hmm. were done entirely in front of audiences. Um, it's not what I expected to be doing. I was a college teacher through all of this. I left my job at NYU about three years ago, and my job at Goddard College, where I taught and, you know, was an administrator, about the same time um, to do this work full time. So, you know, my process really is I show up in front of people and I close my eyes and I hear. And when I hear, I whisper the words as they come and repeat them so everybody hears things twice. And my guides teach and they're teachers and, you know, they bring this energy through with them that they support those present or those reading the books because the attunements and the energy is present in the books just as they are in a in a live event um, to support the reader or the participant in aligning to what the guides say is a higher broadcast that's available to them. The guides say that we're all radios and we're always in broadcast and your broadcast is your consciousness and they're simply supporting us and playing what they call the higher stations that have always been there that we've been perhaps taught that we don't have access to. So, you know, I'm, I have a practice as a psychic, um, although I don't see as many people as I used to. Um, mm-hmm. And I travel a great deal with the work that I do. Um, and I do live streams on Wednesday nights where the guides are teaching um, whoever joins us and taking their questions. But the guides that I work with are teachers, so they're really supporting us in a, many ways, I suppose, a program of realization. I can't say that I'm necessarily all that realized, but I, I do my best, and I show up for this work um, often in spite of myself and often when I don't quite understand it. But I'm still fascinated by the phenomena 
and still questioning it as well, um, and seem to be party to this adventure that these guides are taking me on, and and people are being helped by it, and for that I'm very grateful. So that's um, sort of the story in a nutshell. Fantastic. Were there anyone in your family that has tapped into this sort of spiritual shifts? Not that I'm aware of. Um, my mother told me, and she's quite old now, but she told mm-hmm. me um, recently that you know she sometimes sees people's faces that she doesn't know before she falls asleep and mm-hmm. seems to have access to, to, to some things. So it could well be there, but you know, I was taught, and I think she was probably taught as well, to, to ignore those things or to be frightened by them. So there's no right. real lineage in my family that I'm aware of. Um, Everybody in my family and everybody that I knew was surprised when my life took this turn. It wasn't what was expected from me. I was a a playwright. I'd, you know, been to Yale. I, you know, was having another career and I was teaching college. And when this stuff really began in earnest, um, you know, it was it was not only unexpected but a surprise, and um, I just kept a very very low profile for many years intentionally, because mm-hmm. I had another career that I was I was managing, and I figured you know my channeling was, you know, this other thing that I did very quietly, and I wasn't really seeking to be known for it, um, but then it became unavoidable once the book started coming and. And I was sort of made more public by their presence in the world. Were you resistant at first? Yeah, I was. I mean, you know, initially, you know, I I had gone to an energy healer to get Mm -hmm. a context for what I was experiencing um, when I began to open up and I started seeing little lights around people and I didn't really know what was going on. And when I finally got the courage to study um, healing myself, and I just took a. Oh, initially it was a weekend workshop with this old Irish lady, and um, you know I wanted to run from the room every ten minutes. I was convinced <laughs> I was the only one that wasn't supposed to be there, or you know I had imposter syndrome, and it was terrible. And every step forward that I've made in this work, I've had to counter enormous resistance. Um, I mean, some of it's the basic stuff of who am I and why me and why is this happening and what do I make of this? And I'm also, I think, still, you know, somewhat skeptical, not of the work that's yeah. coming through me at this point. There's such a body of work, and I, you know, really, I don't know how, I don't know if it matters how eloquent I can be. I don't think I'm capable of you know, closing my eyes and dictating, you know, verbally seven books that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are then transcribed and don't need any editing. I mean, that's been the experience so far. So, but, you know, I'm not a very good new ager and, um, you know, I can be a bit of a curmudgeon and, um, (laughs) you know, I, I have, I don't have a lot of patience with, you know, unicorns and rainbows and all that stuff. I think they're lovely, but I think, you know, life is also here and, we have our challenges. So I'm grateful for the work that comes through me, but I do counter my resistance to it, you know, as I, as I continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. What is the difference between being a psychic and channeling? Well, you know, I'll talk about channeling first because that's my primary 
ability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you think of me as a radio, um, you know, I'm playing a broadcast. My broadcast is my consciousness. When I'm hearing clairaudiently the guides that work from through me, you know, I'm mm-hmm. relaying the information that they're bringing. And my job really is to be taking dictation. There really isn't interpretation involved. It's not like I'm supposed to know anything. I'm literally in a chair hearing and repeating everything that I'm hearing. Um, so I'm the radio, and the guides that work with me are the broadcast that's coming through. And I make a distinction between channeled work, or what I believe to be channeled work, which really is you know, the mm-hmm. the clear instruction or teaching or information that's coming through the channel, and inspire, inspired work, which... It's a little bit more subjective, you know. It's like you can mm-hmm. have an you can be inspired to write a poem, but you're still there figuring it out and arranging the words. My job isn't to arrange the words; it's to take the dictation. So that's the channeling for me, and it's really, you know, holding a broadcast for a higher level of consciousness. Some, you know, some consciousness that seems to have the ability to work through my system and and do its job when i work as a psychic i'm tuning in for example to you so if you were to come Mm -hmm. to me and you Mm -hmm. were to say you know i'm having problems with my daughter and i would tune into you first i'd feel what it's like to be you i'd really step in when i i've been filmed doing this where i often Mm -hmm. take on other people's you know characteristics or even physical problems and it's visible and these are people that i've never seen and are not in the room and i can sort of right. become them but i would become say first you and then i would tune into you to your daughter and feel that dynamic and then i would step into your daughter so if you think of me as sort of being like a switchboard and i can plug in to different parties and feel them and hear them i'm still hearing it's telepathic hearing but the difference is i'm not taking instruction my guides may pipe in and explain you know what's up with your daughter or mm-hmm. i may mm-hmm. feel what's up with your daughter or she just may tell me you know nobody ever listens to me and i'm tired of having to prove myself and mm-hmm. you know and you'll understand what the problem is and hopefully there'll be some way to bridge the challenges um so when i'm working as a psychic there is more interpretation involved so if i step into your daughter and i make two fists and I start banging on the table, that usually means impatience. So I have to interpret what impatience means, you know, through the gesture or through the emotional state that I step into um, when I become your daughter. So really I'm becoming people as I do this, feeling what it feels like to be as them and then pulling Mm -hmm. back enough to be able to interpret the information and render it to somebody else. Some of it can be predictive, but that's not the work I like to do. So when people call me Mm -hmm. up and say, you know, am I ever going to meet somebody? You know, I can go there, but where I'm most beneficial is to tune into somebody and finding out why they're not and going into the history that has sort of prevented them from being able to claim what they would like for themselves in their lives. Very interesting. How did the gift of channeling impact you? 
Well, you know, I'm somebody that didn't necessarily believe in channeling, and I was I found some of it, still do, frankly, some of it suspect, um, perhaps well-intentioned, but, you know, it seems that uh, what's being called channeling varies depending on who you're talking to and who who's a practitioner of it. I mean, everybody now, suddenly I hear, you know, everybody that I meet describes themselves as an empath. And while we all have empathic ability, mm-hmm. um, I think that there's, you know, a scale and I think that there are different ways of, of rendering um, any of these these gifts or abilities. So um, ask the question again, please. I, I, got, I sidetracked myself with the response. <laughs> Uh, that's quite all right. I thought it was interesting where you were talking about mm. the gift yeah. of channeling impacting you, and then you talk about yeah. as an empathic person that you yeah. are, and how yeah, you well, connect with people. Yeah, well, the gift of channeling, both of them, mm-hmm. they work together. I mean, they're two different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Clear sentience is clear feeling, which is what some people I think are calling empathy. So, um, mm. and it is, but there's just sort of a there's there's a difference between being with a friend and feeling that your friend is heard and having compassion. It's a a real difference between taking on the pain of the friend or being Mm -hmm. able to render that or work with that or to see what's at the cause of that, which is a bit more of what I would do. I don't carry people's pain, but I often have to feel it in order to be able to understand the source. Mm -hmm. It's just like dipping your toe into the water and understanding what the water is. So, you know, I didn't really believe in channeling all that much when I was younger. I'd read half of a Seth book when I was a graduate student and found it fascinating, but I don't think I ever finished Mm it. And when it first started, and it started really in the very first group that convened in my apartment, I was shocked because I was getting information. And I would say, I think I'm hearing, I think I'm hearing. And people would say, Paul, just stop saying you think and just say what you're hearing. And it took me a lot of time to begin to trust this to the extent that I do now. Um, I mean, there is a real deal that has to happen when I work. I show up in, you know, some at some event, there may be a hundred people in the room that have chosen to be there or paid money to be there or whatever, however they got there. And I I show up in a room with no idea of what's going to happen and if, you know, I'm going to hear. And I thank God I always do. But it's really like jumping into, you know, jumping into a swimming pool um, every time with this blind faith that there's going to be water Mm -hmm. there and that I'm Mm -hmm. going to be carried through it. So it's shown me a certain kind of blind trust and faith through the application of this. It's also changed my practical life entirely. I mean, I'm living a life right now. I I had been a writer, a playwright with the worst writer's block of anybody I've ever known in my life. And it was (laughs) crippling and embarrassing. And I was teaching and, you know, I had had all this great promise as a young man. And now I was like, Mm -hmm. what happened? And, the fact that there are, you know, six books in print, a seventh on the way, and this is all in 10 years. The first book, I Am mm-hmm. the Word, was dictated in February of, of 2009. So next week, it'll be next, next two weeks, will be 10 years. Congratulations. That this has been going on. Thank you. You know, um, 
And it took me another seven years to get the courage to quit my day jobs, you know, mm -hmm. and with this, and it was frankly, it was a career that I loved. I really enjoyed college mm -hmm. teaching and I enjoyed running a, a graduate program. So that part of my life is entirely different. And, you know, my availability to tune into other people and know what's going on with them, it's an odd skill set that I take for granted right now. So in a way, the world that I live in has changed because mm -hmm. my availability to the world has changed. Um, and I often say this, you know, my guides are teachers. They're bringing through this real systemic teaching on embodiment of what they call the true self or the divine self. Mm -hmm. And do I think I'm there? I don't most days. I want to be. Um, when I'm channeling, I know just what it's like to be at that level of vibration. It's astonishing to feel that love and to feel that level mm -hmm. of compassion and to be without fear, um, which is what it feels like when I'm working. There's no fear in this teaching. And so when I'm aligned to it, I'm unafraid. And, you know, I'm learning through this to mm. apply what they teach so that I can live at that level of vibration when I'm not channeling. Because the guides mm -hmm. say the true self that you are, that I am, or that anybody is, is unafraid. And that's the aspect of the divine, they say, that seeks to express as who and what we are. And by what they mean in form, embodied. Fascinating. Extremely fascinating. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Paul Silly. He is a psychic medium and an award-winning author of Channel Text from Toucher Penguin. We are having a conversation about his life's journey and his recently released book, the Book of Freedom, Book 3 of the Mastery Trilogy series. Paul, are you able to choose which guides to work with, or do they choose you? I don't know how it is for other people, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I work with what has been described, that I've been taught at least, as a collective. And, you know, we have some kind of agreement that I understand was really made prior to incarnation to work together, and this is how I understand it. But I'm not going around looking through some catalog of spirit guides saying, oh, wouldn't it be nice to channel Joan of Arc? You know, I suppose mm -hmm. there may be people that work that way. But for me, I'm a radio, and I think my job is to align to a high broadcast, you know, just because somebody is crossed doesn't mean they have a great deal to to teach that's meritful. Um, yeah. So the guys that I work with, I trust, and they come through as teachers. So mm -hmm. I'm not channeling the lucky numbers, you know, for somebody. I'm really, you know, bringing through a teaching. And right. that makes my work somewhat distinct because, you know, there is this canon of work right now um, that works together or and separately, you know, that's a little astonishing to me that there's so much material that has come through and it's all really on point. So these aren't the guides to be talking about uh, political conspiracies and other things people, <laughs> people like to go off into. 
that's right. not their stuff. So that's just not what I get. You know, people can ask those questions. They might want the guides might want to answer them. Right. Um, you know, but you know, they're they're here to do their job, and I'm here to work with them. So it's not like I'm selecting when I tune into people. I'm mm-hmm. selecting who I'm tuning into, and I am hearing there. And I suppose if their guides want to be present, they're probably speaking with my guides and sort of supporting the person and their progress. But that's nothing that I'm all that aware of. You know, I'm when I'm channeling, mm-hmm. I'm primarily working as as a radio and clear audience is the key. I'm not necessarily seeing who I'm talking to, but because I'm always working with the same guides, the feeling is familiar, the quality of voice is familiar, the information is is consistent. Um, If it weren't, I would be surprised and would have to be questioning what was coming through me. You mentioned something about someone else's guide that will be connecting with your guide to kind of mm-hmm. relay the message because that person may not be at the level to whereby yeah. they could hear their guide speaking, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how often does that happen? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's how the information is being rendered or not. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm tuning into somebody, I'm hearing aspects of them. So if I were to, if you were to come to me for a session and you were upset about something, I would, I don't have to know. You can walk in smiling and happy. But if I tune into you and I feel like I want to strangle somebody, I'm going to go <laughs> and to find out what's going on. And mm. if you point to the person opposite you um, and you make the money symbol, that's usually a business issue. And mm. I, you know, and then I tune in. So yeah. whatever aspect of you that I'm tuned into initially is giving me the information. If your guides are party to how I'm receiving that, that's something else. There are certain things I won't do. I don't do medical readings. I'm not a doctor. I don't want to mm-hmm. be giving mm-hmm. medical advice. And occasionally <clears throat> I will have a client show up in my office and before the person even sits down, I will be told, I will, the guides I work with will say, tell them they're fine. And I go, I don't know what this is about. I'm hearing tell you you're fine. And they say, well, you know, I came here because I'm waiting on test results for, you know, cancer or whatever. Yeah. So there are ways that they bypass my resistance. And very often people come to me with an idea of what they want to hear about. And the first thing that I'll tune into is something completely different and much more important. Like they may just want to know about, you know, whether this business deal is going to work or how to work with this person professionally. And I'll step into a marriage that has not worked for many years and mm-hmm. is trying to change or is somebody's needing to release it. And and they'll go, wow, this isn't what I was expecting, but this is accurate information. And, and then we'll go there. So the guys that I work with seem to know what's needed. Um, and the people that are coming to me are also, at least on an energetic level, revealing themselves to me in a way that may be expressing beyond their idea of personality. So, you know, if somebody shows up smiling and I feel the deep <laughs> pain that's really being hidden by the smile, we'll go to the pain. And, right. you know, I'm being given the pain by the aspect of the person that wants the pain to be seen and addressed and hopefully moved beyond Wonderful. Let's talk about the book. The Book of Freedom is book three of the trilogy series. How does this book fit into the series? 
Well, you know, the teachings are sequential, and the the Mastery Trilogy, which began with the Book of Mastery, seems to be preparing people for where the guides are now taking them. The Book of Freedom, in retrospect, is a... Because I don't know what the books are until they come out. I don't even know what the names are usually until they're in the middle of a session, and they'll say, this is the Book of Freedom, and blah, 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 and I go, okay, this is what this is about, and all that stuff winds up in the book. But the Book of Freedom is about releasing our attachment to the collective reality and the rules of the reality that we've inherited. The guides I work with say, you know, they speak, they don't speak of dimensions, they talk about octaves. And they say we're operating in a shared octave of of collective agreement, which is what things have known, how things are valued, um, what makes this other than that, you know, and part of the octave that we seem to be operating in is this agreement to what the guides speak of as fear. And they say, you know, the action of fear is to claim more fear. And they say, look at every choice you've ever made in your life because you were afraid and see what you got. You'll probably find that it's more fear. So what they're doing in the Book of Freedom is they're lifting us beyond the collective um, they say, you know, imagine that you're in a room that has a, a dropped ceiling and you've assumed that that's the ceiling of the world you live in. You know, you can only go so high. They're mm-hmm. basically punching a hole through the dropped ceiling to show us that there's a whole other way of being beyond that or what they would say a higher octave. At the very end of the Book of Freedom, they actually lift the reader you know, to this other place. They say invite everybody through a doorway to to what may exist beyond it. And at the very beginning of the book that followed, they start off by what exists beyond that threshold, you know, and that's where the Mm -hmm. teachings are going. So they're really teaching us how to unattach from our ideas of who we are and also the ideas of what things are and how things are made, you know, the guides speak of of everything, absolutely everything as of what they would call God, you know, the mm-hmm. energy that comprises everything. So, you know, the problem that we've inherited in some ways is some idea that if there is a God, it's something up on a cloud or elsewhere, and we're stuck here in the mud. And they're teaching God as the mud, and God as the skin on your bones, and God as the sky, and God as all things, as all different articulations of one source. And the realization of this, or the knowing of this, the knowing of God as the tree, or God as the one before you, just different ways that the divine Mm -hmm. expresses, transforms not only you and your field and your consciousness, but also impacts what you see. And so they're teaching, they call it the kingdom, and they say the kingdom is the awareness of the divine in all manifestation. But they also say that the divine is called into being through one who holds that level of alignment. So the book of freedom really is a freedom from the established known so that we may begin to experience what exists or expresses beyond it. Fascinating, truly fascinating. Paul, are you available to take a question from a caller? Um, I didn't know we were doing that on this show. Um, I, it depends. It depends what the question is. Okay. We'll give it a shot, and we'll see sure. what happens. Okay? Uh-huh. Lisa? Yeah. Hi. This is Johnny. Do you have a question for Paul? 
so, yeah, I do have a question. Um, I'm not sure which question to ask, <laughs> first of all. Just wanted to see, uh, I guess, if I'm on the right path. And all right. Some, uh, changes to accommodate and to uh, get my goals going for the 2019 year. All right. I mean, okay. that's not normally how I you. work. I'll tune into you. But what I would, I mean, I prefer, and I know this is a radio show, so we won't probably do this. I prefer to work with a full name when I tune in so that I'm getting you and not, you know, your mother who may have the same name as you. Um, but let me let me see what I can get for just for Lisa and see if I can do this at all. You're interesting because you come through basically saying, I want everything to be the way I want it to be, and if it's not going to be that way, then I don't want it. And then that becomes a way to sort of get yourself a little bit stuck. There's a little bit of a sense of intractability here. It's as if if I were to go to uh, an all-you-can-eat buffet and you were to go up there with your plate and you said, well, they don't have horseradish and I'm not going to have anything. And there's that whole banquet there for you that you're not going to partake in because of the sort of resolve or, I want to say, intractability here. So let me just see how this changes. There's an idea here for you that if you can get to the idea that if it doesn't matter what happens and if you release some of the investment of how things should be, you actually can have a ball. You understand this? Right. I mean, a whole yeah. ball. So I would say go for it. But but you have to let go of a little bit of the stubbornness here about how it's okay. supposed to look because that's going to keep you stuck. Okay? Okay. I can do that. Okay. That's, you know what? You're right. You are 1,000% right. I see what I'm doing wrong now. Okay. You're right. Best Wonderful. wishes to you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, Paul, thanks for that. And for that sure. moment in time, you were actually having the guides talking through you, correct? Um, I was. Most of that was reading. I mean, the guides yeah. were supporting yeah. it, but I was reading. Now, oh. when I'm channeling, the guides would have said, the guides might have said to me, "Ask her what happened when she was 17," or you know, "This is about the right. go to the mother," and they'll go off into causation. And they'll direct me mm-hmm. in that way. And if they mm-hmm. want to talk to somebody directly, they just will. And they'll just start talking, and I'll have to sort of take a back seat to whatever <laughs> they want to do. That's, that's the arrangement. Interesting. So how should the book be read? How should it be read? Yes. Well, one page at a time, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the, it's a series, and many people mm-hmm. find that to go to I Am the Word, which was the first book, will give them a foundation for what follows. But people have been entering into these teachings with whatever book they come to first. And the guides I work with say that they um, they teach in a one-room schoolhouse and that they meet all of their students wherever they arrive. So, you know, each book provides another window in. But it's often because the teachings are energetic. And the guides say, you know, there's really two books. There are the words and the page, but there's the energy that's informing the book, which is the real book, which is the vibratory experience. Um, that seems to step up with each book. So, you know, if you look at the reviews of these things, people are writing, reading and saying, mm-hmm. I'm reading this book and my body's vibrating. I'm reading this book and I'm seeing auras. I mean, there's this whole level of conversation mm-hmm. that seems to be happening between the reader and the true authors of the book, which are the guides who seem to be 
or say they are, in fact, supporting the readers in their own journey with this material. I see. One of the things that the book talked about giving the energy in the sense that it talks about it's all within you, yourself. The manifestation, you talk about being able to manifest and being able to basically understand that you are the originator of everything that you want and having the strength, the courage, and the confidence. Yes and no. Um, I'm Mm going to say yes to that in a certain way. Mm -hmm. But my guides would say, what aspect of you is the source of your well-being? What aspect of you is in charge? And the guides I work with say, you know, we have a small self, which is the personality structure. Right. And that self assumes what should be based on some catalog of inherited information. I should want a good career. I should want... Um, just pick something that you should want. I should want to be better looking than I am. I should want more money. And this is cultural. This is the times that we're born into. And the true self, the guides say, which is the aspect of the divine that has come as you, mm-hmm. that seeks mm-hmm. to express, knows far more. And you have to sort of release this idea of what things should be, because very often what we're doing is we're just repeating the greatest hits of of a culture. And if you look at our culture right now, it's kind of a mess. And Mm -hmm. the values are kind of a mess. So we can keep aspiring to have more. I mean, the guides say, and there's nothing wrong, the guides say this, there's nothing wrong with the house on the hill. Somebody gets to live there. But why do you want it? And Mm -hmm. if you want it because you think you're going to be the envy of your neighbors, the guides would say you're creating in fear. And the action of fear is to claim more fear. If it's just a great house and you have the funds and you want to live there and enjoy the view, there's no problem to understand this. Mm -hmm. So we have to look at why we're choosing what we're choosing and what aspect of the self seems to be running the show. So the idea of it is all within you, I would say, yes, the divine as you is within and within everybody. And that's part of the deal here that we seem to miss the point of which is we're operating in a collective field. So the New Agers would say, well, you create everything. And the guides I work with would say, yes, but you're also part of a collective that's creating. Mm -hmm. And the country that you're living in and the challenges of the day and everything that you see has been named by those who came before you. And what you're doing is you're sort of reading, I would say, almost the braille of history you know, what things mean, what values they have. I mean, you know, the guides say, you know, you're the one that decides the diamond is more valuable than the brick, do you know? That's collective agreement. But they said, you know, if you're trapped in your car and you need to get out of a damn car, having that brick might be much more valuable (laughs) to break the window than that ring that costs so much money. That's so, right. you know, there's a lot of stuff to, to, to go into with that question. But, yes, we all have great capacity, if I understand what the guides say correctly, for, for change. I agree with that. It's fascinating. The analogy is so interesting. you got a piece of rock that's three carats <laughs> uh-huh. in weight, and here you're stuck. And would it be better to have a 50-cent brick to break the windshield <laughs> to get <Yeah>. out? <laughs> Yeah, I was so, teaching a workshop yeah. last week in San Diego, I think, and the guys uh-huh. used this. They talk, They were talking about everything that we've given value to 
mm-hmm. is only valuable because of the value we've given it. That's you know? right. Yeah. I mean, That's I bought true. this. I mean, I've been looking at it all morning. I bought this antique chair that cost far too much money a few years ago. I don't know why, what I was thinking. Uh-huh. And, you know, now I look at it, it's just a chair. You know, I could have bought a whole <laughs> bunch of other chairs. And it's what I chose. It's, I was told how valuable it was. I right. agreed with what I was told. It's just a damn chair. But the guy uh-huh. used this metaphor of, you know, being in a house full of the things you valued and the things you don't. And they talked about, you know, the, the, a candle flame lighting the curtain, the whole house going up in flames. And they say, and after that fire, everything is ash. It all looks the same. It's all That's of right. the same substance, you know. <laughs> and the value that things had is negated because it all it always was one source, which mm-hmm. was the guides would say God is an expression as the chair, or as the roof, or right. you know, as 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 the photo album, you know, the thing or the money, these things that we've endowed with such great meaning, and we do this individually and we do it culturally. So true, so true. How does authenticity relate to our true self? Well, it's interesting because the idea of authenticity has there's it's a layered meaning is mm-hmm. somebody more authentic is a woman more authentic because she leaves the house without putting on makeup or doesn't care about you know the lines of the faces somebody more authentic because they say what's really on their mind you know even if what's really on their mind is just stuff and complaining. I mean, I don't know, you know. Now, integrity, which I would substitute in this mm-hmm. case for authenticity, I think has great meaning. And when one is in one's integrity, one is not lying. And the guides I work with say there has never been a lie told that wasn't told in fear. Any mm-hmm. lie, even a white lie is still told in fear. Right. So to be in one's integrity is I think a level of alignment to one's own ability to to express the true self. The guides say this again and again and again. In truth, a lie will not be held. And as you align to truth, the idea of the lie begins to go away. And even, I suspect what the guides would say, gosh, about the personality self. The personality self isn't a lie, but it's not who you truly are. You know, who you truly are mm-hmm. is beyond your gender or your ethnicity. These things are ways we know the self. You know, I know that I'm a man. I live in New York City. I know how old I am. I mean, those are ways I know myself, but that's not who I am. The who, the guides would say, is 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 rather different. And the who is the divine expressing as you, you know, that has mm-hmm. these unique ways of being expressed in the world that make you all things, all of you. Very, very interesting. You're listening to From My Mom's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Paul Seeley. He is a psychic, medium, and an award-winning author of Channel Text from Thatcher Penguin. We are having a conversation about his life's journey and his recently released book, The Book of Freedom, Book 3, of the Mastery Trilogy series. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Paul, isn't self-righteousness 
also a form of being authentic? No, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. This is what the guides say about this. Self-righteousness is always the small self. It's always the personality. Now, to do the right thing or to speak the truth, if that's what you're meaning by self-righteousness, then Mm -hmm. I would say yes, so maybe it's just about language. But if I go, how dare she or how dare he or how dare they, you know, Mm -hmm. um, more than likely I'm operating in judgment. And, you know, my idea of my need to be right tends to be my need to justify myself. It's usually the small self justifying its desires. How dare she treat me that way? Now, I mean, that might be a way that one comes into perhaps healthy self-esteem to know what they're not going to tolerate. But I think that the lesson can be had um, in, in other ways. So I don't know if I'm expressing this well, but the guides have repeatedly said self-righteousness is always, always the small self. And it's a good barometer for me when I get my nose out of whack (laughs) and I want to feel self-righteous. I get to look at what part of me is being affected and and then what I'm frightened of, you know, because usually Mm -hmm. there's fear at the basis of that. Mm -hmm. So true. How does choice govern our very being? How does choice go? Well, every it, it governs everything, really. I mean, I think we are the sum total of our choices in many ways. You know, I'm choosing to be in this conversation with you. You're choosing to be in this conversation with me. Your, your listeners are choosing to listen. And how this moment informs the next moment is is the result of the, those choices. And if I look at all the choices, you know, every choice I've ever made, I suppose, got me to this moment with you and vice versa. So we've been gifted with free will. The guides I work with say that they respect free will and they don't override it. Um, and I think, and I'm appreciative of that. They never tell me what to do. If I want to do something and I ask, and I'm, it's not the best thing, I might hear not wise, which means it's still in my choice, but it's probably not the best thing to do because the ramifications of that choice may be challenging or not what I need to learn through right now. And as the guides continue their books, they're speaking much more to will and they speak of the alignment of the will or the divine will, mm-hmm. God's will, if you want to call it that. Um, and the, the braid, they call it a braiding of the will so that you move away from this idea of thy will, not mine be done. But, you know, I am one with divine will so that you're expressing at that level. Now, it's a more complicated teaching. and I think I just said it very poorly, but it's one of the things that they do address more and more in their teachings because as you move to a higher octave you know how you choose is different i mean the easiest way to look at choice as far as i can tell is am i choosing in fear if i'm choosing in fear it's probably not a high choice because as they say the action of fear is to claim more fear and they often say look at every choice you've ever made because you were afraid or any choice and see what you got you probably got some more fear as a result that's true but does fear has any place at all in our life 
Well, I think that there is self-preservation. I, this, is, this is how I understand it. Um, I, we can learn through anything and everything, and fear is right. a teacher. And I can learn through fear. But I can get my heart broken and then be frightened of ever getting into another relationship as long as I live. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Right. So right. that's what fear gets me is separation. I can. Um, I live in New York City. It's not a bad idea to have a lock on one's door. I have a lock on my mm-hmm. door. But, I, but it's not that I'm not letting anybody in by choice. I'm choosing who I let in. And I'm not frightened as a result of that lock. If I had 27 locks and people had to slip a note under the door to reach me, that would be probably something other. So the mm-hmm. guides say, you know, if you're camping and there's a bear that comes onto your campsite, run. <laughs> run. <laughs> you know, um, that's self-preservation. You're not frightened of the bear. You're caring for yourself and you're understanding right. the capacity for harm of a hungry bear, you know, at your campsite. Um, so that I, I understand is okay, but frankly, we even get to the point, if I'm right, where we stop even operating through that need of fear, you know, of that, mm-hmm. that level of self-preservation still, because so much of what we do is based on a fear of death, um, whether or not we know it. When we stop being frightened of death, how we even address probably those things might change. I'm just certainly not there yet at all. So, um... I, I don't think fear is necessarily an ally. I don't think it's the highest teacher. Mm-hmm. I can be taught not to talk to strangers by being told all the terrible stories have happened that happened to people to talk to strangers, but that right. might create a life where I don't ever talk to anybody. Do you understand that? Yeah. Because everybody yeah. is a potential threat. So true. Your book talks about revelation. Is revelation part of the human spiritual evolution experience, so to speak? I hope so. I hope so. Um, you know, revelation is 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 seeing anew, as far as mm-hmm. I understand it. You know, um, somebody many many years ago, not the guides, said that their mm-hmm. definition of a spiritual awakening was seeing something as if for the first time. And I never forgot that, and that was a very helpful thing for me to hear at the time in my life that I was I was told that. So the guides I work with are teaching knowing, and they say knowing is a synonym for realization. To know mm-hmm. something is to realize it. And when something is realized, it's known anew. Do you understand mm-hmm. that? Yes. And that is revelation. You know, and that really does offer an opportunity for for great insight and great change in how we know ourselves or how we know other people in the world. So that basically is the prelude to leading in creating a new world for oneself. I suppose it is, yes. You know, it depends on what we need to unmask. I mean, the guides I work Mm -hmm. with say... You know, and, and whatever you put in darkness or whoever you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. There's no way around it. So, you know, if you really want to do this stuff, you have to begin to understand that the divine must be in that person that you can't stand. You know, God is expressing even, they say, you know, God is expressing in 
and birth and death. You know, we're the ones that make one thing joyous and one thing mournful, you know, or frightening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in that understanding, things change, but that's more revelation, you know. So when I do these workshops, the guides are having people often work in teams or with partners, and, you know, they're doing a kind of witnessing work where you get to sort of really see beyond the mask of personality to the divine that's there. And then you can feel it, which is what's so astonishing. I mean, you can feel the energy change and you can work with the energy to support this revelation of the divine in who and what you see. And once that happens, it's pretty hard to forget it. I will say that it does change things. There's no way around it. Once you've seen the divine in something or someone, it's pretty hard to forget that. Can anyone connect with their divine self? I hope so. You know, I don't know why they couldn't. Mostly, we've been, <laughs> we live in a world where we're told that we're not allowed. I mean, mm -hmm. do I walk around and commune with my divine self as I would like? No, I hope I do someday. But do I, do, do I feel that there is access? Yes, I do. And do I feel that that must be true for everybody? Yes, I do. But nothing the guides say can be claimed until it's first claimed as a potential, as a possibility. And we don't claim what we don't think we're allowed or can't have or will never be. And, you know, in some ways, institutionalized religion and, you know, the idea that you need an intermediary and all of those things, I mean, in some ways they can be preclusive. You know, there can be great beauty in religion right. and great truth at the core of it. But what's come up around religion, which is a lot of teachings of separation, um, make it more challenging for people. It comes back around again to the choices that we make. Are we looking through the lens of love? Or are we looking through the lens of fear? Yes. Yes, I agree. Very, very interesting. Where can someone go to get more information about you, buy your books, uh -huh. and engage you in your programs? I would suggest my website because it's really one stop um, mm -hmm. for a lot of information on workshops and books. And the books are all up on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and the bookstores. They're easy to find. But my website is just my name. It's paulselig.com, P-A-U-L-S-E-L-I-G.com. And there's information on the live streams, a calendar of upcoming workshops, um, free videos, lots of stuff, you know, archives of old channelings. Um, there's a lot of information. It's a fun site, actually, if people want to visit. Wonderful. What is next for you, Paul? Well, I'm actually home for a week, which is amazing. And then I go <laughs> off to Alexandria, Virginia for a workshop. Mm -hmm. And then I'm in, gosh, Washington. I'm in Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington, and Vancouver, British Columbia. And then I'm off to the Esalen Institute, where I'm teaching regularly. And mm -hmm. then I'm doing a seven-day retreat, my first seven-day retreat in Costa Rica, which I'm looking forward to. So there's a lot. And the book of uh, the new book, which is called Beyond the Known Realization, will be out in. August from St. Martin's Press, and um, I'm excited about that too. And I suspect they'll be dictating their next book by then. And I'm just <laughs> having to to be ready for more of this. Doesn't seem to stop. Wonderful. Looking back, at least for the last five, ten year period, how do you see that you have traveled to time 
with what you have done with the channeling ability. Remember, you were talking about you yeah. were trying to break away and say, oh, my gosh, I really don't want to do this. But then I've yeah, been yeah. let to. And sure. so what was the experience like? You know, this is the one area of my life that I trust um, for whatever reason, as long as I seem to be willing to show up for this work, everything around it has shown up to support it. My personal life, you know, other things that I would like to say, well, how come I don't have this or how come, you know, that's not clicked in yet. Those are the areas that I question. But this area of my life has had its own trajectory and, and operated in real grace. And I've been very, very fortunate to have been supported in this work by you know, the people that have found it and the people that I work with, you know, and I'm so I feel very lucky. And it's, it's, it's allowed me to continue with it. You know, this is not a struggle. It's a challenge some days to show up for this work when I'm not up for it or I'm tired or, you know, there are days when I just want to go back to bed and not think about spirit. But I'm grateful for this whole passage. I'm living a very different life than I expected that I ever would. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be party to it. So true. By the way, we're coming close to the end of the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, what would you like to share as a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Well, I mean, what I'm hearing from the guides is stop being frightened of yourselves. You're far too wonderful to be frightened of yourselves. They're saying you're all far too wonderful to be frightened of yourselves. Live your life in love. Live your life in love and don't deny the love you have. And don't deny the love you have already. Already, thank you. And they're saying thank you. So that came from them, which surprised me because I wasn't expecting to hear anything. And um, I guess that's the message. Fantastic. Paul, thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. It has been a true pleasure, sir. Thank you again, and have a blessed day. And you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's four quarters, left in a pair of cargo shorts, now clinking around in the dryer. But it's also the sound of a whole dollar of deliciousness. Because a McDonald's one, two, three dollar menu, that's the price of a crispy tender McChicken sandwich. Or any size refreshing sweet tea or soft drink. Nice, right? So grab that change. Wow, those are hot. Find more one dollar favorites on the one, two, three dollar menu at McDonald's. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Tax extra. Welcome to your hometown Whataburger. Customization is what we've always done. You want mustard and mayo? You want ketchup? We'll make it how you like it. When you customize your own burger, you can put your personality in it. This is my Whataburger, with Manny's ketchup, all the vegetables, no cheese. We customize orders 24 hours a day. Everybody wants it just like they like it. When you can make it your own, that always enhances that experience for you. However you want it, I got you. <laughs> Here at Whataburger, we make it just like you like it, whenever you like it.